Hey everybody, Launched is back. Uh, hopefully relatively similarly to how it was before. Uh, so it turned out my back to school break uh, ended up being a little bit longer than expected. Uh, not only was it back to school, but I also ended up starting a brand new job and uh, my country went through slightly emotionally involved uh, election cycle. And so there was a lot kind of going on and I knew that there was going to be a lot going on. And so I've been trying to bundle up some recordings ahead of time so that I could keep up uh, my normal every other week pace. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, so if you hear us saying things in uh, the episodes going forward that seem a little bit out of date news wise, uh, that's why. But hopefully most of our conversations aren't really topical necessarily. They're usually about uh, <laughs> somebody's history or whatever. So it shouldn't be too big of a deal. But just know that if you hear something that sounds weird, that's why. Very excited to get back to it. Uh, excited to get re-engage with this community again after a little bit of a weird lull. So uh, let's get to it. Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm excited to bring you the human behind the wonderfully evil Carrot Weather app, Brian Mueller. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, Charlie. Thanks for having me. So uh, here on launch, I like to kick things off with a little uh, icebreaker question from the audience. And today, Matt asks, what is the first app you remember downloading? Uh, and you can check your app store purchases if you want to, or just whatever you first remember. And he didn't specify a mobile app, but I'm assuming that's what he actually means. But you can take that however you want to. <laughs> the, the first uh, iPhone app that I remember downloading, it was on my dad's phone, actually, because he was the first one in the family to get an iPhone. So I was just playing around on his phone and somehow I happened on a game that was about monkeys peeing on stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I still have, distinctly remember that that was the first app that I ever downloaded was a monkey pee game. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that subgenre didn't exactly take off, did it? No, I guess not, but maybe it, uh, did. it was definitely <laughs> an, an auspicious start for my uh, Apple uh, app download career. Yeah, the influences are clear uh, across your body of work. <laughs> and on my actual first iPhone, I remember like one of the first apps I downloaded was a barcode scanner. And I thought it was just amazing that you could like use your phone's camera to scan barcodes for some reason that blew me away and i thought it was awesome <laughs> well so i i didn't have uh an early iphone and i was on android for a little while but actually the first app i ever made uh in any platform was <laughs> it was actually for windows phone but it was a barcode scanner app uh, hmm. and the thing that like made that blow my mind um more than anything was how fast it was. Was it like that on like the original? Well, I don't know if you had the original iPhone, but your first iPhone? Yeah, I, th I think my first iPhone was the 3GS, but yeah, it was pretty fast. It, it's crazy how, uh, I guess when, when the image of the barcode scanner is so like standardized, it's easier to, to do the, the image recognition stuff. Uh, because it's so standardized and it's all like one color. So I guess that probably just made it uh, a lot, lot easier than like recognizing like an apple or something like that. Right. I mean, like it, it was a, it's a like standard literally built for the, for the sake of making primitive, uh, 
image recognition be able to recognize it very quickly, I guess. Yeah, so it's still cool technology, but uh, I guess apps have really progressed quite a bit in the last, uh, oh my God, that was like 10 years ago. Yeah, it's it's both a long time ago and also kind of wild how far things have come in that short of an amount of time. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember what the first the first app I ever downloaded was my, my first iOS device was, uh, I bought my wife a iPod touch, uh, you know, I guess, I don't know how long ago that was. It was probably over 10 years ago though. And, uh, and that was basically like a connect Four device for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> if you, ha- man, I am definitely, uh, I'm definitely rusty on this. This is why I have the icebreaker though. Cause it kind of like breaks us into things and makes it awkward right away. Uh, yes. <laughs> so if you have any questions you'd like me to ask uh, a guest on the show, you should tweet me at launch.fm with the hashtag icebreaker. And uh, maybe I can awkwardly introduce a guest on the show with that. So <laughs> so uh, for the, the real reason you're here uh, is to talk about your app, uh, Carrot Weather. Uh, but you have a whole bunch of apps. But before we even get into that stuff, I just kind of want to give everybody a baseline on who you are. So the questions I ask everybody are, where are you from? Uh, do you have a formal education related to uh, what you do now? And then what was your career like pre-indie app developer? Sure. Uh, so I'm from the, the Philadelphia area, about like uh, 30 minutes out into the, the suburbs and basically grew up here except for uh, two years in Florida when when I was like 10 or so. But uh, we, we moved back here in 1990. And so just uh, lived here uh, pretty much my whole life and, uh, now married and have a kid. But, uh, in, in terms of my, my background and, and education, uh, basically no background in programming. I was an English major in college and, uh, with a minor in creative writing and, and the classics. And my plan was to go to, uh, uh, get my, my MFA in screenwriting. And I had had gotten into the American Film Institute out in LA. And right around that time is when I met who would later become my wife. And I made uh, what ended up being a good decision, but at the time was probably a ridiculously stupid decision to, to stay here <laughs> and, uh, and and stay with her over, over that. You left the lucrative uh, career of screenwriting for the uh, super unstable uh, software development field. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it would have been, I, I would have had to have been probably even more lucky than I have been with with Carrot and with app development in general uh, to have had like an actual successful career in screenwriting. So, so I think things uh, ended up turning out well. But at the time that I made the decision, that was in like 2006, I had absolutely no interest in programming at the time and the iphone wasn't even out yet so so that was uh far on the horizon so take me from that point then to uh coming out with your first ios app like how did how did that gap get bridged so when i decided to to stay in the philly area uh i ended up getting a quote-unquote real job right away and that was in in data entry at a medical device uh, research agency, uh, working on like medical device recalls. And basically my job was to take letters from uh, medical device manufacturers, uh, recall letters, and put them into this our system. And then they'd all be sent out to, to different hospitals. 
And while I was doing that, I was also getting uh, an MBA uh, uh, doing that part time. And when I was uh, basically wrapping that up was around when I got my first iPhone and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And I, at the time, I, I started really getting interested in iOS programming and, and listening to like uh, Marco Arment's podcast at the time. I remember was was about iOS development. So you were listening. You were listening to Marco's podcast about iOS development, having done no software development like at all. Yeah. Well, I, I don't remember at the time. Was it like focused on programming, or was it more just like talking about the the indie app scene? I can't remember what it was uh, back then. Oh, uh, that's a good point. Admittedly, uh, my introduction into that world, or at least Marco, was ATP. So in ATP, you're right. It's not. It is developers, but it's not about development. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense. Yeah. And I think this was actually a little bit before ATP. So I, I just don't remember what his podcast was like. Yeah. I can't remember what it, what it was called, but he had another one uh, before that. Yeah. And, and I don't quite remember if it was, if I had already started getting into programming by the time that I started listening to him. But uh, yeah, so anyhow, um, I had like an idea for an app. It was uh, like a to-do list app and I wanted to find somebody to help me program it. And so I went and got a book on iOS programming thing. I'd like flip through it and learn the, the vocab so I wouldn't sound like an idiot when I went to talk to a real programmer. And I just started doing like some of the tutorials in there and it wasn't anywhere near as over my head as I thought it was gonna be. And basically just went from there, uh, learning all the different steps to building a to-do list, like uh, making tables, table views, and and storing the data on the phone, stuff like that. And uh, it wasn't anywhere near as hard as I thought it was gonna be. Cause like back when I took I took a grand total of one computer science class in college and it just felt super math oriented, which is not not my uh, cup of tea. And so I just never kept up with it. I never went on from that first class because I thought it was just going to be way, like as I got farther and farther into it, it was just going to be way over my head. And when I, when I got the book on program, on Objective-C programming, it just was easy to read for me and easy to follow what was going on. And so that just made it so much easier for me to to get my feet wet and, and keep going and keep adding to my, my skills as I went along. I feel like having a, a sort of like idea in your head as you're reading about these things makes a huge difference. Like compared to taking a class where it's like, okay, I'm going to learn computer science and we're going to talk about data structures or some sort of sort of vague concept whereas you coming into this with this to-do list which it probably helped that it was a to-do list because that's kind of the go-to like example right. uh, they often give too i think that that was the 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 uh like sample project that you were building in the, the book that i happened to get and so that uh definitely helped significantly yeah because like as you learn a concept you're not just learning about this generic concept you're kind of applying it to this thing like oh that's going to be helpful when i'm doing xyz and i feel i don't know i feel like for me at least that's where all the neural pathways you know form and harden or whatever in your brain and you actually remember the stuff 
Right. Because if you're just like going through and, and learning about the, the different things and you're not actually building anything or you're not building something that you're interested in, it's a lot harder to remember the stuff or have like any interest and, and passion to to keep going. Yeah. No, that's cool. So so your first app was was this to do app? Did you take it through to completion and get it on the store? Uh, yes. Yeah, so the, the first app was uh, uh, Carrot to do the, the to do list. And uh, actually, let me take a step back because back when I first started with the programming, the original idea, I, the idea that I had for a to-do list, it was called Grailer. That's actually the name of my company now. And so the whole idea around it was it, going, it was going to have a Holy Grail theme and the, the central focus, your, your central goal was going to be your Holy Grail. And then like all of the other items on the to-do list were supposed to get you to, to get uh, completing that Holy Grail, like finishing college or, or completing some huge project at work, something like that. And so that was going to be the whole theme of the app and the characters in the app were going to be like uh, like an adventurer, like Indiana Jones type. And then he was going to uh, have a talking dog as sort of like his sidekick mascot. And it, it ended up being a uh, uh, like a, a corgi butler that was like snide and sarcastic. <laughs> and that ended up being basically the core of carrot was that that character his name was was sir waffles <laughs> and okay and, and so that the the entire reason that i switched from that to carrot was because i realized that it was going to be way too hard for me to do the artwork for like a ah, cartoon yeah. dog character not like I could draw, I can draw pretty good and like I'm pretty good at art type stuff, but animating it would have been like impo like an impossible amount of work. And so I, I was going to ask it later on, but are, so you're doing all the artwork in, in all these apps? Yeah, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's a very distinct style and it, it is very consistent throughout all of all of your different apps. So I kind of thought either you did it or you had one person who does it all but that that's really cool yeah and uh so the the style for that that uh that grailer app was going to be more of like a web comic style uh so it, it just would have been like impossible for me to to animate that and so i was just thinking i remember i had just done a tutorial on i think core animation and and the tutorial was just like taking a circle and, and making it uh, uh, sh contract and expand. And I was just looking at that and, and realizing it sort of looked like uh, like Hal from, from 2001 or, or uh, GLaDOS's little eye, like getting bigger and smaller as they react to stuff, that, that sort of glow. And it was just that connection that made me think, oh, I could make this into like a robot or AI character. And it just, I, I don't even remember how I came up with the name Carrot, but yeah, that it, was it just my next sort question. of all clicked <laughs> together. And I basically went from from the, the Grailer concept to Carrot in within like a day or so. And yeah, I don't I remember. The, the name Carrot it was chosen because 
the to-do list, the idea behind it was that you would get rewarded if you got stuff done. Carrot and stick. And punished if, if <laughs> you were slacking off. And so the, the idea behind the carrot name was that the whole carrot versus stick approach um, of the reward versus versus the stick. And so that's where the whole carrot name came from. So at the risk of like grasping uh, at a narrative as us humans do, it really feels like your background as uh, like English and, and going into like screenwriting or something is very directly related to how this all kind of came about. Like you had a whole narrative structure storytelling element to this app oh yeah to a to-do app yeah definitely and uh that's definitely unique <laughs> and at the time uh gamification was like because this was uh 2013 when carrot to do came out and late 2012 when i was uh getting into programming um gamification was this big huge buzzword at the time but all the apps that that and websites that integrated gamification concepts, all they really did was was give you uh, badges for for yeah, completing different badges. things, and that was really the extent of the gamification that was used. And when I play games, I'm playing them for the characters and the writing and and the story. And so, what I really wanted to use uh, in building gamification concepts into an app was and taking concepts from video games into an app was the characters and the story and the dialogue and all that kind of stuff and and i definitely do think that it was the the more unique background that i have with the the creative writing side that made it possible for me to do that yeah this this all kind of comes back to that i can't remember the phrase now i know i've talked about it on here before but the whole like monopoly of you concept where you know, you might not be the best screenwriter that's ever lived or the best app developer or the best whatever, but you're probably one of very few people that have that alchemy of skills together. Uh, so you could take your illustration and storytelling and then the app development skills that you grew and make something that was genuinely very unique. Yeah. And I, I think that that has uh, played a large part in Carrot's success. Just that, that unique combination of all those things together and without any one of those things, we wouldn't be sitting here talking to get today. Yeah. So uh, let's let's continue this thread then, because Carrot to Do was just the beginning of this sort of uh, journey. And ostensibly, the main reason I was uh, like I knew about you in the first place was Carrot Weather. But you have like a whole suite of Carrot apps. Mm -hmm. So like, what was sort of the next step from Carrot to Do, and then how did that kind of grow into this suite? Well. Carrot to do when I launched that, uh, I basically had n no contacts uh, with anybody in the iOS community, uh, no contacts with anybody in the press, and so I was basically just launching that uh, cold, uh, just putting it on the App Store and seeing what happened. And that that first day, uh, I got a total of I think. It was 26 downloads and it was pretty much all just like family and friends. <laughs> yeah. And so like that first week, I, I remember that I sent out like a bunch of like cold emails to press uh, trying to find somebody to, to cover the app. And I, I think at the end of that first week, I got uh, my first press mention that was on Lifehacker. And basically with each new release 
of major release of the app, uh, I tried to get like one new uh, uh, website to, to cover the the app. And that's basically what I was able to do during those first few months when it was just carrot to do. And how, how are you doing that? Just more cold emails? Yeah, uh, just sending out emails to uh, uh, people on Apple websites that, that run Apple websites uh, and more mainstream uh, tech press stuff like uh, uh, The Verge or I don't even know if they were around at the time uh, and TechCrunch and, and those kind of sites and just hoping that, that someone would would read the email and be interested in the app and, and cover me. And it was basically just growing from, from there and from from word of mouth and people sharing the, the stuff in, in the app on Twitter and Facebook and that kind of stuff. Now, one thing I want to point out too, I don't know if this was the case back then, I'm kind of curious, but uh, like when I was leading up to launching Dark Noise, I knew that I wanted to make a press kit, not because I thought it would be successful, but because it felt cool to pretend to be one of these cool indie developers <laughs> I know of, and I, I'm going to make a press kit, right? Um, and so I spent a lot of time looking at a lot of different apps, press kits, but un questionably the one i spent the most time on and you can probably see clear influences on how mine's set up uh was i ended up on was it meetcarrot.com uh with your press kit because it is structured very like well it's it's interesting to look at uh you lay out like all of the different assets uh that i could imagine like a press person would want was that something you did uh initially or did you kind of just grow that over time uh, it's it's definitely grown and expanded uh, as as I've sort of learned what the press is interested in and what they like to have access to. Um, but I, I think that I did have a press kit when when I first launched the the to do app, and and it was probably just like a couple of screenshots and and maybe the app icon at the time. And another thing is you have pretty like uh, <laughs> interesting and cool looking. Uh, videos for most of your apps in, in your suite right now, it seems like. Do you make all those yourself? I do. And, and I, I I think we were talking about this on Twitter. I just hate doing the, the videos because that <laughs> always happens at that comp- the end of the process at when I've just like killed myself getting the app submit like ready and and submitted to the app store. And I'm just like emotionally and physically exhausted by that point and the absolute last thing i want to do at that point is do any kind of marketing let alone something that i consider uh difficult which is is the the production of the videos in in after effects and and um and premiere and it's just uh so much work and and I don't do it enough where I feel really comfortable doing it. So like I have to spend a lot of time like figuring figuring out how to do stuff that I already did in previous uh, videos, figuring out how to do it again because it's been months or years since, since I've touched that software. And then just having to figure out how to do completely new stuff too. And so it's just exhausting and I'm already exhausted by that point. And and so that's probably my least favorite part of the process. Do you feel like they make a big difference? Because I mean, from my perspective, they they look amazing and they're like super well integrated with your general brand and they often show off a lot of your features really well. But do you, obviously you keep doing them. So do you think it's worth that extra effort to kind of put that in? 
they were definitely worth it early on because I think that that is part of what uh, helped me get attention um, from from the press and, and also from Apple. Uh, so they were a hundred percent worth it early on. Um, I'm not sure that that because I haven't done one basically since the uh, the the launch of the Carrot Weather redesign in 2017, and and so that was the uh, yeah the last redesign. Uh, so so it's been a few years since I've done them, and. And I guess I, I haven't looked recently at like what, how many views uh, that video has, but uh, I'm not. I'm so I'm working on a redesign now of of Carrot Weather, and I'm thinking about whether or not it's it's worth doing an, a new video, or or just putting the, the screenshots up on the App Store, and I haven't really decided about that. Yeah, the the last the. The redesign launch trailer has uh, sixty-seven thousand views on YouTube, and so that's okay, but but nothing amazing. It's not like it had like uh, hundreds of thousands or or a right. million views. So so it, it's not like it, it got a, a huge reach just from that trailer. But but I think it's helpful um, when when you're reaching out to press and they have like a video that they can put in an article uh, to show their readers uh, what the app is. See, that's that was what I thought because um, I, I like like making them. It's actually like I give myself a break from coding and do that just as sort of a like night off kind of thing right before I release. Um, and I thought that same thing, like the purpose would be that people that are writing articles, I'm trying to give them as many assets as I can so that it's more likely that they write about me. But I've noticed that very few of them actually include the video. Uh, and when they do, it's like at the bottom and it's not kind of a major thing. For me, it's mostly just been, you know, coming from not having a big following. I'm in that sort of like growing the brand or whatever you want to call that phase. Uh, posting those videos on Twitter in particular gets a whole bunch of attention and a lot of people f- find out about me for the first time because of that. Not yeah, so much. Especially your last video uh, was great. And <laughs> I saw that it got a lot of attention too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That one was, uh, yeah, it was like a jokey video and then it kind of had a from my perspective at least a sort of viral uh element to it as well but but most of that's coming through twitter honestly like the actual youtube video and anybody embedding it that's like almost nothing i don't i think it's public on youtube but it might even be unlisted because it it really it's not like youtube is driving any you know traffic or interest into my apps um so i'm always curious to hear from other people because i do think it is a thing that you can do that makes it that kind of makes you stand out a little bit because it's not as many uh, developers do that. But at the stage that you're at with with Carrot, um, and in particular weather, it's like it's probably low on the list of things that are going to bring in new people um, because you already have kind of a, a sort of known following, I guess. Yeah, and that that was my thinking on it. Like it was definitely necessary and definitely a huge help when when I first started out. But at this point, it, it might, um, uh, I don't know that it would be a waste of time, but... Diminishing returns. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. I mean, if I, had, if I was able to put together something amazing that, that was uh, really funny and able to go viral, uh, I, that would be a different story. But, 
but the the chances of me being able to put together something like that um, uh, might just the time just might be better spent elsewhere. So right. yeah, that's something I still have to figure out and I'd have to come up with a good idea for it, I guess. So uh, let's like fast forward then, I guess, to Carrot Weather itself. Was that, the, was that the next one you made or had you made a couple of these other Carrot apps like Alarm and Fit and Hunger before you got to Carrot Weather? Carrot Weather was actually the, the last one that I did. Okay. And so the other ones, Carrot Alarm was, was number two. Uh, and then, then came Carrot Fit and and then uh carrot hunger and so basically when when i had done like three or four major updates to care to do i was getting to the point where i wasn't seeing uh as as much uh uh as many uh increases in downloads after each major update this was paid up front right yeah this was paid up front uh I think back then it was at uh, it was just like ninety nine cents, uh, and and so I was trying to think like what to do next, and I I just thought at the time that it would be really interesting if there was an entire like series of carrot apps and, and just sort of carry the character uh, into different apps rather than than having like a completely new app with completely new characters or or just a completely different um, aesthetic to it. And, and it just, the, the whole idea of the, the to-do list where you get rewarded for, for getting stuff done and punished uh, if, if you're slacking off, that whole idea just carried over to an alarm clock perfectly. Uh, you get rewarded if you wake up on time and you get yelled at if, if you keep hitting the snooze button. And so it just seemed like a natural progression. And when I launched that, it was the launch was significantly more successful than any of the other launches that I had had to date um, because a lot of press were already familiar with Carrot. And right. it, yeah. it was interesting to them that that there was it was now turning into a series. And it was also, I, I think, interesting to Apple um, that, that I was doing that as well. And so, uh, I think editor- that was the first time editorial really app store editorial really picked up on, on carrot was around that time. And that I, not to get too technical, but how do you do an alarm clock? Because I, you can't do like background alarms in a like official capacity on iOS, right? It, yeah. And I mean, it was tricky at the time and it's actually gotten significantly worse since then. Um, so I think at the time what I, I, you had to use like different tricks with, um, I can't even remember what, what the tricks were Background at this point. Notifications or something. Yeah. It, it was something like that. And I'm, it's stuff that you're not even able to do anymore uh, <laughs> using the operating system. Um, so yeah, I, I think that alarm clocks don't really work all that well. Uh, unless you actually have the app running on your device uh, with the screen unlocked uh, when you right. go to bed. That that was basically the instructions that I had to give to users um, was that, that you had to do that. And, and so it, it wasn't even an ideal app because there, there were a lot of problems with it and, and technical hurdles that you sort of had to explain to users, this is how you have to do it. And it, it's not going to work just like uh, Apple's alarm clock. But it kind of proved out this concept that you could take 
a sort of brand and ideas and characters uh <laughs> how many apps have characters over into another app and that other app is automatically interesting just because of those elements uh and then you you carried that further with what was the next one was it fit or hunger yeah fit was the next one and that one uh was even more successful uh, because by that point, even more people were, were familiar with the app and, and more press were familiar with the app. And, and that was the first one that actually got uh, more more mainstream press attention. And so, like, I was on Good Morning America for that. Oh, my goodness. And a uh, couple other shows uh, because uh, it, it was actually controversial at the time because uh, people were accusing the app Carrot of fat shaming people. And so I think that was the, the controversy that, that, that got me onto those shows and uh, got the app a lot more attention than it would have otherwise. Interesting. No such thing as bad press kind of situation, I guess. Yeah, I guess. And, and I mean, just because uh, the, the nature of the app, it, it's this character that is not yelling at you for gaining weight, uh, but is making it fun and entertaining. And if you step on the scale and you've gained like two or three pounds and she yells at you in a funny way, then it makes it more into a positive experience than, than her just being really mean and, and, and that kind of thing. So it, it turned it around more like you want to get approval from Carrot and make her happy rather than turning it into just like a completely negative experience was all was the the dominant feedback that i got from my users yeah that's good that that seems like that would be kind of tricky uh unlike the other ones where it's like there's not really much controversy about yelling at somebody about not waking up but uh, yeah but i I think it was the i think that i couldn't have done it successfully without carrot without the to-do list and the alarm clock because i was able to sort of perfect the whole um personality and perfect the the way that people interact with the character to the point where like people were using uh care to do so much because they they love the character and they they kept coming back uh to see what she was going to say next for example or for all the little fun things that i built into uh like in the to-do list there's this um virtual cat that the carrot gives you and i got so much feedback that they from people that were only using only continued to use a to-do list because they wanted to keep the cat alive (laughs) and so they would keep coming back to the app to feed the cat and and so it was the experience from from those first two apps that that i think made me be able to tune the, the relationship with with the user to a degree where it was uh, a positive experience and it was just funny and, and and that kind of thing rather than just being like completely negative. What what was your sort of feedback loop then for for how to tune that? Like with those first two, were you getting feedback that was like, hey, this is being too mean and you'd kind of dial it back and then you'd kind of push it forward a little bit to see what you could get away with? Yeah, and, and I mean, I've had a, a constant back and forth with with my users. Uh, 
one of the fun things about doing this all my, myself is that I'm the one reading all the, the tweets and reading all right. the, the customer support emails and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm able to see like what people respond to and what they don't and what people complain about and what they don't. And so that has definitely helped build the character and and made me realize what will work and what won't as I write like dialogue for the character and that kind of stuff. So at this stage uh, with these apps, and I'll just lump hunger into there. Uh, I don't know if you want to give a brief explanation, but it's it's kind of like fit, but for tracking like uh, nutrition, like food that you eat. Yeah. And it was basically the, the same idea, seeing if I could uh, uh, repeat the success of Carrot Fit. And I was not able to with that. And so that's basically... Um, it, it was like a month after that 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 I got into to working on Carrot Weather, um, but oh, it, it was around okay. uh, the, the launch of Carrot Fit. Like after the success of that, that I was able to uh, uh, quit my my full time job and and do Carrot full time. And uh, over your your Carrot Empire now of yeah, uh, I guess three apps at that point. And so you you said you did Hunger and it didn't quite have the same the same. Uh, success as fit did so then what led you down the weather train because that's kind of a diversion from these other four apps in that there isn't really like you're not rewarding or disparaging your users for certain behaviors it's it's really just something that you're reading yeah and that was definitely an experiment because like each app i i had to build in like uh levels and experience points for for each like task you completed or or uh, uh, workout you completed, that kind of stuff. And this one definitely simplified things a lot because it was basically just me writing jokes about different weather conditions or, or times of day or seasons, that kind of stuff. And that was basically the entirety of, of the personality and interaction that you would have with Carrot in the app. And so that actually uh, made it significantly easier on my end, but I just didn't know how that was going to work and play out with users and whether they would have the same uh, response to the character. So the initial pitch of Carrot Weather was basically, I'm going to make a nice weather app that I can put jokes about the weather inside of it. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't even a nice weather app at the time. If you go back and look at the uh, at the uh, the original design uh, in the the first, I guess it was the first three ver- major versions of of Carrot Weather. Uh, it, it wasn't the the more like professional focused weather app that's packed with features that it is today. It was just like a very bare bones weather app uh, that, that told jokes, and and that was basically it. And how how was the release of that one then the initial release that one uh was was very successful uh uh it, it eclipsed all of the other apps uh by a wide margin uh i it was uh prominently featured by apple the, the week it was released oh wow and so that uh that I, I think gave me the uh the runway to sort of just keep working on the app and keep iterating on it and bring it up to the level that it is today. Uh, and a big part of that was really just th- the feedback from users uh, just asking for me to add like this little thing, that little thing, like add uh, precipitation chance to to the hourly forecast and, and wind speed to 
to the hourly forecast. And so just those little requests, um, I, I would just spend a ton of time looking at the design, figuring out uh, how do I fit this in and, and that kind of stuff. And, and that's sort of just been the the whole impetus to building out all these different professional features was just uh, uh, users uh, that are more like weather nerd type people wanting to see this data in the app and me just like sitting in front of, of Sketch figuring out how do you fit this in. And and it was also the, the launch of the, the Apple Watch around that time uh, and trying to figure out how to, to get Carrot onto a tiny screen where you can't be as reliant on jokes uh, right, especially yeah. if it, with like complications, for example, you can't be as reliant on jokes because uh, there's there's no room for that kind of stuff, and, and especially not for the like the little characters that that are built into the interface on on the iOS app. There's just not room for that kind of stuff on there, and so I had to rely much more on just making a good weather app, uh, as opposed to or in addition to making like a fun, engaging weather app. That's funny. So you sort of started out with the personality and then kind of backed into making a extremely nice, uh, well fleshed out one of the like nicest weather apps, just bar none to the point where a lot of people will proudly say, oh, I use carrot, but I turn off all of the, the snarkiness because I just want, you know, this nice professional thing. But it's they love it as an app, even if you take the personality completely away. Yeah. And that's been one of the really cool things uh, seeing because that that was definitely not my intent, not what I was trying to build when I first sat down to build this app and to just have changed the app over the course of the past so this launched in 2015 so it's been uh this this is the the fifth year now that uh the app has been around and just the the amount of stuff that has been added in those five years is just crazy when you look back on on everything that that i've done to the app since then and all of like the ios features that that apple has added to the ecosystem since then that I've incorporated, uh, it, it would take a lot of work to, to build this uh, from from scratch. Yeah, because, man, I didn't realize it was that young. I, I honestly thought that this was one of those apps that's been around since towards the beginning. And uh, you've just been layering on every feature that Apple comes out with. Kind of like a peacock is, is, I think of Carrot as the peacock of weather apps which sounds weird but in the sense that almost every feature that ios uh like touts with a new version carrot probably has an implementation of that that they snuck that you snuck in there somehow right like you have an ar mode in your <laughs> yeah. weather app uh what what like drives you to to do that is that a business thing or is that a like i just enjoy making these things or is it users all asking for it uh I, I think a large part of it is me just wanting to to play with with the new APIs and seeing what cool things I can do with them and and just building in fun like the the AR mode for example is just like a fun thing for for people to play around with just like going all the way back to the to 2013 with the the to do list and and the virtual cat just finding fun things like that for for people to do in, in the app. Uh, just keeps people coming back and and playing or poking around more to find other things like that. 
And I guess that that maybe dovetails into the fact that you've you've expanded this into basically every platform that that Apple makes, right? Uh, with Apple TV, Watch, like you mentioned already, um, the the Mac. W- what drives you to those? Is it a similar thing where it's like you kind of want to play with and experiment with the APIs? Yeah, and that ha- is definitely uh, a ton of fun getting onto those those different platforms and, and figuring out how to redesign the app to, to work with the, the design sensibilities of that platform. And I, I think I'm in a, a unique position because the, the design of Carrot isn't necessarily like the, the way that iOS d- apps are supposed to be designed. It, it doesn't necessarily meet like uh, Apple's human interface guidelines in terms of like uh, looking exactly like an Apple-designed app. And so that definitely affords me a lot of leeway when I'm going off and making like an Apple TV app or a Mac app. It, it doesn't have to look exactly like like the, the other apps that are on that platform. But it also makes it a lot harder in a way because I have to, like when I was doing the Mac app, I had to build a lot of components from scratch to make them yeah. look like the iPhone app. Whereas if I was building something more standard, it would be a lot easier. That's true. But I think, I feel like the fact that you have this very consistent sort of illustration style, uh, when you see that on one of the other platforms, it instantly makes it feel like familiar, you know, this is carrot. And, and so the data and what you're expecting is all kind of, flows from that consistent uh, visual language that you're getting, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm actually uh, going to move a little uh, away from that in the redesign into something that is a little more um, looks like it belongs on, on the system and, and looks like it is a just like a standout weather app as opposed to just being something really cartoony and, and completely different. And so we'll see how uh, people react to that. But uh, I think the, the, the redesign's coming along very nicely, and I think people are going to be pretty happy with it. So I guess in that vein, I'm curious what your style of development is then. Like, I follow you on Twitter, and I, I don't think I've seen anything related to this redesign. Is your general like MO to keep things totally under wraps and then have a big reveal? Or do you kind of do a slow drip drip as it gets closer to, to the release? Uh, it's definitely, uh, just something that I basically just reveal all at once. Uh, when I'm announcing, Uh, I, I definitely probably should, uh, talk more about brand new stuff while I'm working on it. And, And I wish I did, but, I, I'm like the kind of person that likes to show stuff when it's completely done and when it's completely working and when I'm completely happy with it rather than showing like works in progress. And like I, I've just always been that way and I wish I wasn't. <laughs> well, I think it, it you know, uh, I think Google and Apple often show the two uh, or maybe Microsoft and Apple would be a better example, show the benefits and negatives of both because like there's so much more excitement and attention you can get by being like, Hey, look, here's something com- totally new that you've never seen before. And here it is. Now you have it. Um, but the risk is if you're off by a little bit, there can sometimes be a pretty extensive, uh, backlash to that. Have you experienced that with any, especially like your redesigns, uh, for carrot, for example, have you ever experienced that, that whiplash or have they been 
you know, pretty well received and then you're able to quickly respond to feedback as it comes in. Yeah, I mean, the, the designs have always been fairly well received, like the, the redesign in 2017, pretty much everybody was happy with that. And like with the, the widgets um, uh, two weeks ago, pretty much everyone was happy with that as well. I mean, you can't, there's no way to please everybody. And so there, you just have to sort of accept that you're, you're going to get some people who aren't thrilled and, and possibly even hate it. And it just sort of goes with the territory. And uh, I've tried to develop a thick skin, but I definitely remember the people that are unhappy with it more than, <laughs> than the 10 or 50 or 100 times as many people who are. And so it, it, it's, it's tough to, to, uh, to sort of disconnect from that and not take it personally. But, but you just have to remember that you can't please everybody and you just have to be confident with what you're doing and and that it's the the right way forward for the product and and for the vast majority of your customers and you probably get more of that thrown your way just by the nature of uh your app's personality being driven by you know an angry uh cutesy but mean uh robot is that <laughs> is that something that you get i mean a lot of times you'll tweet out uh, whenever you get kind of a funny, uh, angry response. But do you get a lot of that coming your way or is it surprisingly uh, little by now? No, it, it's not that that often. And, and it's usually um, just like uh, people being offended uh, that they're being called like a meatbag by carrot or something like that. Right. Um, so so it, it's maybe like one a week or or one one every couple of weeks uh so it's definitely not that bad um I, i'm curious to see what it would be like uh if if i do end up uh switching to a uh free with subscription right now i'm a, a paid with subscription model and and so with the redesign i'm thinking that that i may switch to um a free with subscription model instead and so uh if I open those floodgates, um, I'm curious to see if the the, the number of angry people uh, uh, increases or not. Yeah, I really wanted to talk to you about that in particular because uh, you started in you said 2015. So I guess at that stage, subscriptions were a thing. They were at that time, but they were you were not allowed to do a, a, an auto renewing subscription. Um, for the vast majority of apps, including weather apps. Okay. So like when I first launched, I had to launch a subscription. Uh, so it started a, as a paid app and I had to include a subscription when Apple Watch, I think it was WatchOS 2 came out and you could add complications to your watch face because I, I just ran the numbers on the weather data that people would use if the complication was updating multiple times an hour uh, within the first year or so, then people would be using more, more weather data. Uh, the cost of the weather data that they'd be using would be more than what they paid for the app or what, what my cut, uh, from, from the app sale would, would be. And, and so I basically had to add a subscription or not add Apple watch complications. And that was basically where the subscription originally came from was that uh, 
that I basically had to or I had to not add those features. Yeah, that's the weird thing about weather apps. And I know lots of apps, this is the case, but it seems more clear cut with weather apps is that like your users using your app and especially your users using your app more with like push notifications and all that actually costs you more money. Uh, right. <laughs> and so, so it's it's kind of a wonder that weather apps could survive and, and thrive in the early days uh, before subscriptions at all, just because... I guess the numbers just had to be insane on the paid up front. And then a huge amount of people had to not actually really use the app for it to stay monetarily viable. Right. And I think part of what helped that was back then it was before the Apple watch before the widgets that were just released. So there mm, yeah. weren't like background updates happening. It was only when you open the, the app. It, it was just when you'd open the app and people really only checked the weather, uh, most people probably don't even check the weather every day, but the people that do, they probably are only checking it two or three times at most per day. Admit, admittedly, I check it way more uh, just to see what you wrote, especially if anything's happening in the news, because uh, uh, we haven't talked about it yet, but like you you have some sort of system for for pushing your, uh, your little carrot jokes uh, out mm-hmm. automatically because multiple times throughout the day i'll open it and there'll be like a new joke often based on news that's happening right now whatever's whatever jokes going around twitter there's probably going to be a reference to it in carrot somewhere yeah that's uh that was definitely one of the the best uh ideas that that i had uh was just implementing a, a system where i could just push uh uh new jokes around current events like in politics and pop culture and, and stuff like that and, and the the reaction to that on like social media and stuff uh, ha, has been fantastic. And so I just try to do at least a couple a week as long as interesting stuff is, is happening. Do you have, is there like an app on your phone that you made that you just sort of treat it like your personal Twitter? Uh, no, it, it's all, uh, I, I do it on, on the computer and I ju- just push something up to, to my servers uh, I can do it from my phone if I go into like uh, the VNC thing, uh, it, yeah, yeah. A, a VNC app where I can just go on the 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 little mini app that I built on the computer to do it. But I never actually went and and spent the time to to build an app on the phone. I should, uh, like if I'm traveling or something. But at least with Corona going around, yeah, uh, yeah. The, there hasn't been as much of a need to do something like that. It's crazy how much uh, interest in getting a Mac version of Dark Noise has just radically spiked this year compared to the past mm-hmm. uh, because everybody's on their desktop or laptops all the time now. Yeah. So the so with the subscription, that was all entirely um, originally driven by necessity. I either... I had to, to add the subscription or I couldn't add those features. And it, it just made sense to me to just go ahead and, and try the subscription and, and see what happened. And I knew that I'd get pushback f- from people, but they, they didn't have to, they wouldn't have lost out on anything um, because they it, it was completely new features that I was adding to the subscription. And so the, the original app that they paid for uh, they'd still have that. And so it, it just, from my perspective, seemed like a win-win because I'd, I'd be able to, to try out the subscription and I'd be able to add this cool new feature to the app. Uh, and so 
for, for the most part, uh, people have been very understanding about the, the need for subscription. I, I think um, as far as like any app category you can think of, uh, weather apps more, more than any other, uh, it, it's much more easy to explain why a subscription right. is necessary. Uh, for any other app, they, they might have like a, a server component, but the, the costs for that aren't as obvious to the end user as they are for a weather app. Like for a podcast app, for example, um, I have no idea what what the costs are for like Overcast or or Castro or or any of those because it's it's completely opaque to to the end user um, what is going on behind the scenes there and and does it cost them any money to for me to just open the app and and load a podcast? It, it's a lot less obvious, but but for a weather app. You just explain every time you open the app, it costs me a little bit of money. Every right. time the, the app updates in the background to update, update the complications, that costs me a little bit of money. And so it's a much easier value proposition to, to, to customers than, than I think any other app. Right. It's and, like a content app, like a Netflix yeah. or whatever, or Spotify, where it's like, yeah, of course I have to pay monthly to get access to new stuff being added you know, every week or whatever. And with, with weather, it's like, Oh yeah. Okay. I see. I, I'm paying for the access to this new data that's coming in all the time where, yeah, it's a lot less clear with something like podcasts where it's like, well, but you're just downloading it from this other person who hosts it. And it's like, well, okay. Yeah. But you have server infrastructure and you start getting into the weeds quickly. That's a lot less clear cut. Right. And I mean, there's still tons of people that are pissed about having to pay subscriptions because there are all those free weather apps out there that are run by huge companies yeah. uh, that are backed by like billion dollar companies or backed by huge uh, venture capitalists. And so they don't charge for the same features. And, and so I, I still do get plenty of people who complain that, well, I can get this for free elsewhere. Why do I have to pay for it from you? And you, you just have to explain to those people and, and you'll get through to some of them and have to accept that you won't get through to a, a bunch of others. But, but those, those types of people are usually the ones who wouldn't pay any, no matter what, what you did. And so right. you just you just have to accept them as lost. And I feel like uh, probably inadvertently you, you had an advantage of you kept the, the initially part of the app paid up front. Um, a lot of people, when they go through this transition, they switch to subscriptions and then they make the app free, you know, and then like you get some low level functionality for free and then you have to do the subscription to upgrade for whatever it is. And the thing that that does is it opens the faucet for every single user humanly possible can now download the app, leave you an angry review about how subscriptions are the worst and then delete your app and never use it again. And a lot of those people will complain like saying, you know, I wish you could make reviews only for the people who actually paid. Um, but you kind of had that filter when you went through that initial transition, which is usually seems to be the worst part. Right. And I, I think that, I mean, I, I definitely probably should have switched to to free with subscription a long time ago, um, from from a business perspective, just because those apps seem to be uh, uh, significantly more successful in in terms of like the revenue that they bring in because people can try it. Yeah, you can you can just try it, and you just have a much larger user base. People aren't really willing to pay for apps up front anymore, unfortunately. Um, 
and so you see much, much higher downloads on, on free apps versus paid apps. And so it's probably a transition that I should have made a long time ago, but I was just, um, uh, part of me just didn't want to to sh rock the boat on on something that was uh, being successful for me at the time and and I, I think it's time for me to make make that switch uh, relatively soon and it, it's just a matter of making sure I take care of the existing users who did pay for the app um, and, and making sure that they get to keep all the features that they paid for giving them something uh, something extra so that they feel like they didn't waste their money and and also just um just handling that tr transition well is going to be important for me because uh i definitely don't want to piss people off uh by doing that but I, I think that it's going to help significantly um just in in terms of expanding my reach and, and and reaching all those people that that no longer pay for apps because that's now now the the vast majority of, of people that are on the app store and, and also it, it just um it paid apps that also have a subscription there's I can't. I, I can't even name any others off the top of my head. No, you, your app is the example I always go to because I can't think of any others. And so I, I do feel bad for the people that pay for the app and expect to have everything because they paid for it. And so for the so I I do get those people from from time to time who don't like read the app store description or or look at the screenshots and see that there are all these additional features that, that you have to pay a subscription for. And, and so I, I'd rather um, rather just cater to peop to the way the market is going and, and not have that surprise for people after they, they pay for the app. I think it'll just be a better user experience overall. So we haven't mentioned it, but uh, you do have an Android app. And <laughs> I'm curious about the development and all that process too, but uh, pertinent to what we're talking about right now, what is the business model there? Because I know that's a whole different world uh, as far as the what models work and what don't. Did you go with the same model there whenever you first made that? Uh, I, I actually went with um, with free sub subscript with subscription on there because okay. I knew that the piracy rate on paid Android apps was like ridiculous. So I, I knew going into it that that I, I had to make it uh, uh, free with subscription. Um, otherwise most of the people using it would just be pirating it. So how, how has that, uh, process gone aside from, uh, did you build it yourself? Did you have to learn, uh, whatever, uh, probably not Kotlin at the time, but, uh, it, it was Java? Kotlin cause I, I only, oh, it was Kotlin. I released it, um, I think it was 2018. And so that was already around by that point. And, and yes, unfortunately I did do it all myself. <laughs> And so, I mean, that was an interesting learning experience for me. Um, the problem with Android is that it has significantly fewer paying users um, than, than iOS. And so... Like, the, not just numbers, but the ratio itself, like free to paid? Yeah. And so, I, I wasn't able to, because the, the revenue coming in from Android was a tiny fraction of the iOS side. It, it just didn't make sense for me to, 
to keep spending time on on the Android app uh, and adding, getting it to feature parity with the iOS one and also neglecting features on iOS when it was just making so much less money. And so the, the Android app, unfortunately, hasn't been updated to the, gr- the degree that the iOS one has. Do you plan on like leaving it in the store and at some point coming back to it? Or is it kind of like, you know, you'll leave it out there for the people that are using it, but for the most part, it's kind of a, it was a, it was a, an attempt was made and you're kind of moving on from it. Well, I, I think it's good to have on the store um, just in general because uh, people on iOS who are telling their Android friends to, to go check out this app, uh, I still get plenty of downloads from, from people doing that. And, and it still makes pretty good money. It's just not anything close to, to what the iOS app makes. And, and so I, I, what I f- would like to do is uh, uh, stop being lazy and, and hire somebody to uh, to uh, expand the Android app, and I, I just have never—I've never actually hired anybody to do anything so far. And I'm just uh, because I'm stretched so thin as it is. Uh, the idea of like sitting down to uh, like post a job and go through applicants and interview them, and then get them up to speed on on the Android app code base and and share like all the features in the iOS app so that they can port them over just the the idea of all of that work is just exhausting to me and, yeah. and so I just haven't uh, taken that step and and carved out the, the time that I would need to do that and that's basically the the entire reason that I haven't done it for for anything else it, w- it would make my life so much easier if I had like, uh, like one customer support person or like somebody to help with the back end stuff, um, I, I do need to take the time to, to do something at some point. But uh, I always just opt to just keep going on on the iOS app and, and adding new features and working on the redesign. Yeah, it's it's almost easier to teach yourself uh, a whole new programming language than to teach yourself a whole new business skill of managing people and all the legal stuff that goes with that. Uh, I know that would be overwhelming to me, but <laughs> I'm I'm no nowhere close to uh, something like that. I guess a uh, previous guest, Curtis, you're probably following his uh, his exploits closely because he's. I think he has he has a person who's helping him with support now, and he was talking about getting an Android person, and so he's kind of going through a lot of that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think he actually has somebody working with him on the Android front right now, and I'll be interested to hear uh, how he f- feels, how he felt that went once once he's able to launch that. Um, yeah, but it, it's tough. Um, and, and the other the whole other side of it is like Carrot's doing really well now. But like, I have no idea how it's going to be doing a year from now, five years from now. And the idea of just having, being responsible for other people's jobs and careers and, and, and all that kind of stuff is, is scary to me as well. Yeah. Yeah. It makes you a lot less nimble if you just want to totally change what you're doing. Uh, you can do that right now for yourself. But once you're, you're kind of responsible for somebody else's well-being, uh, it it slowly turns into you it turns you into a slower moving ship i guess 
so I guess in, in a similar vein than that, before we wrap up, uh, there is kind of a big looming business change that's sort of being forced on you, which is uh, your primary, I think, uh, data service that you use, although you use a lot now, is or was Dark Sky. But Apple just recently bought them and they're going to shut down all of their APIs, right? Uh, that's the the, the plan um, as far as they have announced to everybody, yeah. And so uh, I, that's going to be at the end of 2021. So yeah, uh, it was definitely nice that they gave such a, a long window on that and didn't just like say, oh, we, we bought Dark Sky, we're shutting it down in two months. Yeah. That, that would have been... Uh, uh, that would have added a significant amount of complexity to my life. Um, but yeah, so one of the, the, the nice things that, that I had done in the app and spent a significant amount of time on, uh, and I'm very grateful now that I did, was, was building uh, the ability to have uh, a bunch of different data sources into the app. And so that has made my life significantly easier in in planning this transition because I already have uh, contracts with all these other different data providers and already have everything built into my back end and into the code in the app to handle all these different providers. And so that makes it, uh, I'll have to do some some coding to to change the default, but, all, all of the the significant amount of the work has already been done on, on that, and 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 so it's not as much of a uh, disaster to me as it is uh, to some of the other apps that that were solely relying on Dark Sky. What was your primary like uh, motivation behind that? Was it like users requesting specific so- services or something? Yeah, it was purely uh, uh, user requests because uh, no weather data source can be 100% accurate all over the world. Uh, even even the, the huge ones like, like Dark Sky, uh, AccuWeather, Weather Channel. I mean, there's, there's going to be areas of the, of the planet where they just don't have like weather stations or, or satellite coverage or, or what have you. Uh, and so there, are, there were a lot of people in Europe, for example, uh, where, where dark sky isn't uh, traditionally as accurate as other data sources that were asking for for um, uh, additional data sources. And so I just added uh, one and then people asked for like a data source that is more accurate in their area. And so uh, I, I added another and uh, now I'm up to like, I think it's like six or seven. I assume once you had that system in place, uh, then it was just getting a contract set up and then wiring everything up. But you kind of had the ability to handle more than one was kind of probably the big lift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, building that whole engine where it takes the data from all of these different sources and puts it into one like larger weather data object where everything is the same. That that was the, the real amount of work. Um, because all of these APIs are com- do things com- in completely different ways, not not just like the the units of measure that they use, but just like the way that that the the forecasts are compiled. Uh, it, it there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes to make it all into one 
uh, source of truth like, like I have in the app. And so that was uh, does require a significant amount of work, but at least it's a lot easier now to add new sources than it was if I was doing it all by scratch from scratch. So as as these things uh, go in Apple World, uh, whenever they they bought Dark Sky, there's obviously a whole bunch of speculation as to why and what they could use it for. And one of the things that I personally think would be really interesting, and I'm curious just to hear your take, is what what would it be like you think if they they brought a like weather kit uh api into the ios frameworks like MapKit or any of these other things where basically any app could have access to at least one of these weather sources uh for free or or close to it i mean i i think that that would be very interesting um if they did something like that and i'd definitely uh be happy to use it um, I, I would be curious to see like what the pricing would be on that and whether uh, it would be free to developers or not. I, I'm not, I, I mean, they, they, they certainly provide a lot of stuff to developers for free as it is now. Um, so it's not outside of the realm of possibility that they would offer it to developers for free. So it'll be very interesting to see what if anything they do with that yeah i'm curious like how how that would play into sort of existing established weather apps because it's already like kind of a crowded market um but there's a decent kind of cost to entry because you have to make you have to make it worth uh the cost of the apis and all that stuff and so i feel like if they were to do something like that there'd just suddenly be a huge surge of people making weather apps and do you think that would be something that would change? I mean, obviously it, this is like extreme speculation, but I'm just curious if it's something you've thought through because it, it feels like it would change the landscape of weather apps. It might just be like a rising tide raises all boats kind of thing where everybody starts experimenting with weather apps. Um, but I don't know, like I'm, I guess I'm not really asking a question as much as I'm just <laughs> pontificating on what could happen here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely interesting. Um, the, the possibilities of what could happen. I mean, the, the cost to entry for a brand new weather app is is actually relatively low, um, at, at least when Dark Sky was accepting new uh, registrations, because the their their costs are on the developer side are relatively low if you have a relatively low number of users. Oh, right. And, and That's good. So, point. so you you with Dark Sky, you only pay as you go. So like each, each data update um, adds to your cost rather, rather than some of the other data providers, you, you pay um, uh, a yearly or a monthly fee base and they, you get like a bucket of API calls. That's how right. most um, weather data providers do their contracts. But with Dark Sky, it was a completely pay-as-you-go model. And so if you weren't using the data, then you weren't paying that much money. Interesting. So, so it, it wasn't that, it's not that hard for, or at least before um, Dark Sky stopped accepting new registrations, it, it wasn't that hard for, for, some, for some developer, um, even if it was their first app, to just put together a weather app, put it on the app store and sort of see what happens. Because if you only get like a couple dozen downloads, then you're not paying that much money. And I, I guess that's, that's kind of what helped breed 
the weather app market as this like sort of playground for a lot of designers. Mm-hmm. I feel like Cather, the, it sounds like the original carrot was in that sort of same vein. Right. You weren't necessarily going out to make the most professional expansive weather app that's ever existed. You were kind of taking an existing genre, so to speak, and putting your own flavor and twist on it. And you could do that because the economics made that kind of possible. Right. Um, and I guess by getting rid of dark sky without a replacement, uh, maybe that will have a chilling effect on that on that market. Yeah, I mean, it, it could. Uh, I, I think other weather data APIs are, are trying to uh, step in and, and mm. fill that role now uh, that, that Dark Sky had with their their like free tiers and stuff. Um, yeah, one of the nice things about Dark Sky for developers just trying to to get their feet wet was the the first uh, one thousand API calls each day were completely free. And so if you weren't even hitting a, a thousand API calls in a day, then you didn't have to pay them anything. Oh, wow. So like development slash maybe test flights to your friends or something, that was probably good. Right. And, and if if you put something out and it only got like a couple hundred downloads and people were only checking and those people slowly disappeared over time, uh, you were paying either nothing or next to nothing. Huh. And it, especially if you didn't have like a watch app or a widget that was doing background downloads, it was only when they opened it. So the, the costs are relatively low um, to, to get into to, to doing weather apps. It's just when you have a ton of users and you're doing background updates and stuff like that, where the costs get in, in pretty insane. Um, yeah, my, I my, imagine. My data costs are, are very high. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine so. I I I wonder uh as we're recording anyway, we're sort of still in the the glow of iOS 14 and I think Widget Smith uh David Smith's uh widget app is still like number 1 in free apps and he has he has a weather uh widget in there. I can't imagine what uh his costs must be. Yeah, uh I I'm curious how my, how many uh subscribers he's converting and all that kind of stuff. To, to use the, the weather data component, because I think that um, you Wisely. can only use the weather data stuff if you're subscribing. Yeah, yeah. I think he set it up so that it's similar to his uh, his uh, watch app, uh, Watchsmith, mm-hmm. where it's like the, the stuff that's going to give him recurring costs, he makes sure that he's making some money uh, on his end so he can pay for that. So I yeah, don't so- think it's probably spun on him, except that, you know, Apple doesn't pay you for it's like a month delayed or something. So he might have like a gigantic bill he has to uh, deal with uh, in the short term, which is, I don't know. It's, it's crazy to think of the, the scale. I'm sure he's very glad that he didn't offer like some free level of weather data to free users because he would be in much bigger trouble in terms of the bill right now than uh, what through a subscription. Would you just end up with like a huge payment that you now have to like i don't know yeah i it, it is kind of scary to think that if your app somehow goes viral uh and you have some sort of recurring costs like this you could end up in a really scary situation if you didn't set up the the economics right yeah i mean i'd be scared of of going like insanely viral and getting millions of downloads or even hundreds of thousands of downloads a day because i don't know if uh, if I'd be able to keep up with like the the server, just just uh, keeping the servers up and running, let alone the, the the data costs and everything. Yeah, no, that's wild to think of. 
Uh, all right, so <laughs> I'm I'm getting close to actually. Uh, no, no, I'm still under time technically. Uh, I might be able to get this through uh, in in our allotted time. So uh, I'll ask the question that I ask everybody at the end of the show, which is, what is a person or people out there that have inspired you that you'd recommend others check out? That is a a good question. Um, I think in in terms of app developers, um, the the app developers that that I really uh, keep an eye on are, are you already mentioned uh, Curtis Herbert, um, who, who does the Slopes app. Um, I, I really like how he uh, tweets and blogs pretty frequently about all the different experiments that he does. And it's, it's uh, great to, to follow and, and get ideas for, for stuff that I can do uh, adapt for, for care weather in the future. And, uh, and to, to a similar extent, um, uh, David Smith, he, he blogs and tweets quite frequently about the different experiments he does. Um, and, and, uh, Christian Seelig, who, who does Apollo is another one, um, that, that I definitely follow in terms of like the different experiments he's doing with, with Apollo and, and just following all of the different indie developers um, that that have seen some success, it's it's really great to, to see what the, the community is able to put together and, and how they're able to be successful in creative and, and new ways. And, and I, I I love seeing that. And it's definitely something that I want to encourage and, and do my part to help with. Uh, I, I wish that I was more <laughs> outgoing about and uh, uh, was more of like a blogger so that I could uh, detail uh, the kinds of stuff that I experiment with and, and play around with and, and so that I could share that more. But I'm definitely more introverted about that kind of stuff. So it, it's easier for me to just do like a podcast like this every once in a while and I can share share different things. But uh in terms of like actually writing about it, um, uh, I, I've always just uh, demurred on that. Yeah, it it takes me so long to write something down, and and I go over it a thousand times, and I'm just like a bad. Well, you're not really a bad writer, but I'm just a bad writer generally, uh, and so. Well, my problem is that it takes me forever to write anything. So, like, if I'm going to write like a page of text, it's going to take me like at least half the day to write that because I just do not write quickly at all. And so like, I just go back and rewrite stuff constantly. And, and I sit there for five minutes thinking up how to word a sentence or a paragraph. And so it just takes so much work and so much energy for me to do that, that it's just like all consuming. So I'm really jealous of the people who are able to just like put out a quick blog entry in like a half an hour or an hour. I just can't do that. I'm not uh, built to do that. And um, it's, it's probably um, why I was able to find so much success with Carrot was because I'm with Carrot, I'm just writing quick like one-liners. I'm not writing like a whole story or pages of text or anything like that. It's just quick one-liners and yeah. And so I don't have to concentrate so much on each individual line. Yeah, that's the nice thing about Twitter. Like I can find that I can write a lot more on Twitter about what I'm doing because I'm doing it in these little chunks 
And then once the chunk's out there, I can't go back and fix it. Whereas if I start a blog post, it's like, I'm going to write it over the course of a week and keep coming back to it. And then every time I read it, I'm like, ah, I need to change this completely. And it takes me forever to write a pretty low quality uh, blog post. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But I guess similar to, to carrot, it's like you're limited on those characters. Uh, So you kind of just have to go with, and you can obsess over each word and sometimes you have to, to get it to fit. Uh, Do you have like an explicit character uh, limit for, for carrot? Uh, I mean, there's a point at which it do- it starts to to not really fit. I don't know what that character limit is. I just sort of know it when I see it. Like when I'm looking at the length, that I, I know it's getting a little too long, and so I pare it down. No, that makes sense. But yeah, it, it's it's usually like four lines of text is really the limit, and, and it just varies depending on the size of the screen. Right. Uh, but I guess we should wrap up before I start going down another rabbit hole because I could keep asking you questions about carrot all day long. So, uh, thank you. Seriously. Thank you so much for coming on. This was, this was one of those apps whenever I originally started the show that I was like, man, if I could get Brian on here, that would be so cool. Cause, uh, actually, ironically, there's two apps that I probably, uh, parrot to all of my friends constantly and am always selling people on. And it is, uh, Pennant, the, the person I had as the last guest, uh, the sports app, and then this app. These two are both apps that if somebody gets an iPhone and they're asking me, what are some indie apps? It's like, these are two representations of the type of thing you can get that you're never going to get from a big company. It's just like a, a level of polish and personality that's really fun. Um, so, so seriously, thank you. Cool. I appreciate that. And uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched.fm. You can also discuss the episode with me, other listeners, and sometimes our guests on our dedicated subreddit, r slash launched.fm. If you like the show, I'd really appreciate a rating or review in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Breaker, or whatever your podcast of choice happens to be. And you can find show notes and more at launched.fm.com.